Good morning, everybody. feel like during that last song, it would have been a nice touch if the chain just <laughs> broke. Um, so my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to invite you to meet me in John 4. But while you're looking up John chapter 4, uh, part of the adventure, if you're new to Discovery, part of the adventure of our life as a church is that from time to time, stuff happens that is out of our control, and we end up uh, in a situation where... There's a pit um, uh, where the stage used to be. So this is, uh, hopefully this is something that's going to get fixed. This is not normally how we set up on Sunday morning. Um, but I just want to say I really appreciate our team uh, who is here today to help uh, get everything out and together. Because this, we had to set up, yes, give them a hand. We, uh, we definitely had to set up in a different way than we normally would without the help of the hydraulic lift that brings all of our very heavy belongings from the basement up to the upper level. So anyway, um, this, this should all be resolved in the not too distant future, but just want to acknowledge that there really is, like there is this, like I feel farther away from you, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll figure out how to overcome the gap. All right, before we get into John chapter for us, has been one other thing, um, which is that the last couple of weeks, another adventure for us has been the launching of our neighborhood communities. And yeah, some of us are mildly enthusiastic about neighborhood communities. Uh, this is our new uh, way of doing life together throughout the week as we organize in different neighborhoods. And those groups have been in the process of launching over the last several weeks. And it's just been really beautiful to see that come together and, and those uh, gatherings start to emerge in our different neighborhoods. Um, and so I just want to say, uh, again, now is as good a time as any to be involved in one of those. If you're not sure what is this neighborhood community thing, how do I sign up, uh, where are they meeting, all that kind of stuff. Once again, the connections tent is going to be where you want to go. We have little cards there that you can fill out, and the leaders of those communities will be in touch with you very quickly uh, to let you know all the details. I do want to add to that, though. We have a sort of special neighborhood community that is geared towards students, particularly undergrads. It is it is led by our interns who are very enthusiastic, which is beautiful. Tuesday nights, it, why don't you just wave a little bit? There we go. Uh, two of them are right there in the front row. Um, that meets on Tuesday nights in their living room. It is creatively called the living room. And so you'll want to uh, get involved in that if you are a student. It'll be a great way to build community with, uh, with some other folks. So, um, and if you want to know more, you can always ask them as well. All right, John chapter 4. And we're going to... Uh, pick this up in the middle of a story, and then we'll fill in uh, we'll fill in the rest of it as we make our way through this today. John chapter four, beginning in verse thirteen, Jesus is speaking to a woman. He tells her this: Everyone who drinks this water, and we'll we'll again explain what he's talking about here. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, uh, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. Um, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see, I can see that you are a prophet. 
our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. A time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, to be able to gather this morning even in the midst of some challenges. Thank you for just the, the spirit and the flexibility of this community and for the ways in which you have built this resilience into our culture, into our DNA, to where the stage doesn't work, no problem, we can figure it out. But now, God, I ask that you would take uh, all the things. We're, we're in a busy season, a fun season, an exciting moment, but would you take all the things that we bring into this space with us this morning and would you hold them for us so that we can be fully present, fully present here now, in tune with your spirit, able to hear your voice. God, would you speak to us today? We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Dan O'Reilly is a psychology professor. He wrote the book on lying, quite literally. The book is called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. It's a fascinating uh, look at why... We lie. Why do human beings lie? One of his main points is that we are in this process of, of continuously trying to identify the line. The, the line where we can benefit from dishonesty without everybody thinking of us as a liar. In other words, the, the question here is how much can I lie without being seen as a liar? This is called image management. And we are constantly doing this, right? Whether it's on social media where we're very literally managing our image or, or whether it's the information that we reveal in conversations or the way that we dress, the way that we present ourselves to people. We are always navigating this gap between who we are and how we want people to see us how we want people to perceive us. And, and there is a deep fear in that gap. Right, a deep fear in that gap between who we are and how we want people to see us. There's questions like, what if, what if people really knew what was going on in here? What if I don't live up to the image that I have presented? What, what if the, the facade gets exposed? Who will be with me in that moment? Will people still like me, love me? There's a deep fear in that gap. And yet at the same time, at the same time, we have this longing, right? We have this longing for honesty, for truth, for what is real. Now, this gap connects very significantly to both of our fall conversations. We spent the last two weeks kicking off this, this conversation called integrity, right? How we move towards 
wholeness, the undivided life that Jesus offers us. Jesus' own words, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Our thesis in this conversation is that we grow in integrity. We become whole through generosity. Right, just like Abby was talking about a minute ago. It's in giving away our time and our talent and our treasure that we actually become whole, integrated. Now our other conversation, and this is an ongoing one here at Discovery for the past several years now, is called Practice where we look at spiritual disciplines, these practices, these skills that that form us, shape us in the wholehearted, undivided, abundant life that Jesus offers. Once again, his own words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. So with all of this in mind, right, the gap between who we are, uh, you know, how we present ourselves and who we really are, integrity, what it means to become whole. Let's step now into this story in John chapter 4. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at encounters that Jesus has with women. And I just want to pause here for a moment. We We need to point out that the way that Jesus interacted with women as a man, as a rabbi, a teacher, a leader in that moment, that cultural context 2,000 years ago, was radical then. And in many ways is still radical now where almost daily we see news of men failing to have honorable interactions with women. We see this in entertainment, in sports, we see it in the church. And then we see situations like, I don't know if you guys have been following what's going on in Iran, but that's not just dishonorable, like that's deadly, right? These interactions between men and women. Jesus was radical in his time. He's still radical now in our 21st century enlightened moment, right? Where even today, Often, all too often, women are in positions where they hold less social power. And this puts them at a great disadvantage in encounters with men who hold more power. We're going to see this play itself out in a very significant way in this story. So look, at me, look with me at the beginning of John chapter 4. Jesus here is on the move. He's going from Judea to Galilee, and the text says he had to go through Samaria. Now we're going to do a little bit of geography this morning. It's actually beautiful that I get to stand so close to the screen. So... Jesus has been in Judea. You see here at the bottom in the southern part of the map, Jerusalem, Jericho. This is the the southern part of Israel. He is now traveling up to the top there, Sea of Galilee, uh, the region of Galilee. That was sort of home base for him. And obviously Samaria, get to where you need to go. Now, this is a straight line, right? So you just go right up and, and you get to where you need to go. Now, the issue here is that many Jews looked down on Samaritans. They viewed them as, there's a lot of history there, they viewed them as being sort of half-breed, not fully Jewish. And so there was some contempt there. There was this sense of like, if I associate too closely with them, I become unclean or impure. And so what some people would do is actually go all the way around. And if you were really, nope, stay back, stay there. 
If, if you were really into it, you would go from, uh, you'd go over the river, the Jordan River, up this side, and then back over once you got to the Sea of Galilee. It was that extreme, the lengths that they would go through to avoid going through Samaria. Now, this is a little bit, you can put that other map up there now, Stephen. This is a little bit like, I, I've heard, I've heard that some people in Davis look down on, on Woodland. Okay, yeah, it's sad, right? Like, what's up with that? So what people were doing is the equivalent of you're coming south from Reading or wherever you might be, and you get to that point where you can go, what people are doing here is they're taking 505 all the way down to Vacaville. I, I, I went so far as to draw it so that you could see what I mean, right? This is what they were doing, like going way out of their way just to avoid going through that place. That's the kind of relationship that many Jews had with Samaritans. The text says Jesus had to go through it. Very interesting choice of words. He goes through it and it brings him to Sychar where he pauses at Jacob's well, which by the way is a very significant Old Testament spot. And at noon, he meets a woman there. Now there's a bunch of details here that we can easily blast past if we're just reading through this quickly. I just want to point out a couple of them. First of all, the time. The time is important. It's noon. It's very common for women to go to a well to draw water. This is a desert. And so at noon, it's hot. What women would typically do is they would go early in the morning or in the evening when it had cooled down a little bit. Nobody goes to the well to draw water at noon. The second issue here is that she goes by herself. Women would not go to the well by themselves. This was dangerous. There was strength in numbers, right? Safety in numbers. And so they would go together early in the day or later in the day to collect water. This woman is there at noon and she is by herself. This is a massive signal to us that she has no friends. She is not connected to community. Now, she's there alone. And lo and behold, there is, there's a man at the well by himself. And he's Jewish. And he looks important. And this is like the most awkward situation you could imagine. Without the benefit of today, right? What do we do today when we come into the, I mean, we got sunglasses, you put your earbuds in, and you're just like, don't notice, like, don't look at me, right? Like, we have these ways when we don't want to interact with someone or talk to someone, we can, we can you know, kind of do that, right? She did not have those things. She had a jar. So I imagine her with this jar of like, just don't, maybe he won't see me. They we're both at this, like, Oh, so awkward, right? And she's doing the like, don't notice me thing. And who talks first? Jesus, right? Jesus talks first. He says, give me some water. Which is like, oh, here we go. Which I, I'm kind of playing up the awkward part of it. This isn't just uncomfortable. This is potentially dangerous. No one around no one to see what's about to go down. What is, who is this man? How is he going to interact with me? He's a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. He's a man. I'm a woman. This, is, this, is a, uh, this situation is fraught with peril for her. And now he asks her for a drink. They get into this very interesting conversation about water. We'll talk more about it in a moment. But for now, it, it leads to this, this thing that Jesus says about living water and, hey, if you drink the water that I have to offer you, you'll never have to come back to this well again. And she's like, yes, please. I don't ever want to do this again. Give me that water. 
And then it gets real weird. Right? If you are reading through this story for the first time, reading through it with fresh eyes, it's like water, water, water. Okay, they're at a well. That's, that's interesting. And then Jesus is like, call your husband. Like, what? What a creeper. What is he doing here? Now, in every great story, there is a reveal. Right? What makes a story a great story is that you don't know what's going to happen. We, there's information that is missing. And so we keep it, what hooks us and keeps us reading or watching, whatever it is, is, okay, what's going to happen next? That, that information has not been filled in yet. But then there comes a moment where whatever it is that we don't know or don't understand is revealed, right? And when that thing is revealed, the truth comes out, what happens? The characters can deal with reality. They, they can make choices. They can change. And then also the story can resolve. We're getting now to the reveal part here where Jesus brings up the husband. All that water stuff is very interesting. It's theologically very significant. But for her, it is all theory, disconnected ideas until it gets to this moment of go get your husband. Those of us who grew up in the 90s, we remember MTV used to have other things going on. They had this show called The Real World where people would stop being polite and start getting real. There it is. This is that moment, right? We're no longer, water, water, theology, interesting, whatever. Where's your husband? Oh, it's getting real. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus responds, you're right. When you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now pause. Let's pause for a moment. Notice what Jesus says but also what he does not say. Right? What does he say and what does he not say? She is still shading the truth. Image management. And before you get all judgy about her, this is a situation where she does not know, how, like, am I even going to make it out of this alive? So let's be a little gentle to her for, for, you know, maybe not revealing all of this information right out of the gate, right? She's still managing her image, and Jesus speaks the truth. Unfiltered, just plain truth. He does not shame her. He doesn't call her a name. Right? Because what happens when we call names? Now we're not dealing with the truth of the situation anymore. We're dealing with the judgy thing that, that you said. Right? Doesn't call her a name. Doesn't shame her. Doesn't throw shade doesn't try to manipulate her into spilling the beans or whatever. No, just, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, the person you're with now, not your husband. Just truth. No spin, no managing. Now, she's got one more move up her sleeve, and it's to change the subject, which is what we all do when we get into these moments where it's a little too real. 
So she asked him another theological question, this debate about worship. Is it this mountain or that mountain? Jews say Jerusalem. We say over here. Like, what is it supposed to be? Again, amazing conversation. All kinds of big truth. Jesus just like dropping all this big stuff into this back and forth. But it leads her to say, okay, cool. Um, and they will explain it's me. stuff. And Jesus is like, it's me. Right? This is such an amazing conversation. So many things going on in the back and forth there. I want us, though, to take a step back for just a moment and look at the human side of this conversation. We have a woman, a broken woman, a woman who is disconnected and isolated from community, who has this authentic encounter with Jesus. And when I say broken, again, let's not get judgy. She's broken just like all of us are. Her thing is five husbands. For some of us, it's anger or our family baggage or abuse or money or addiction or maybe I'm a workaholic. Whatever it might be, you name it, we've all got stuff. And we don't like to lead with that, which in, in many instances is actually quite healthy, right? There's pace to revealing some of these things about ourselves. But the good news of this story the good news of this story is that uh, Jesus says, look, I, I'll go there with you. We can be real about it. Wh whatever it is, be honest about it. I can hold it. I can handle it. Or we might say it this way, if we don't want to go there, spend enough time with Jesus and he will. <laughs> Right? We, we can throw theological curveballs all we want. He'll, he'll bring it back to what's real. This, this uh, interaction is, is so interesting. Right? <clears throat> she encounters Jesus. Spirit and truth. I mean, honestly, an incredibly frightening moment. Like, who is this person? How is this going to go? Am I going to make it out of here? And it ends, it ends with her learning about who Jesus is. And the way that John tells the story, she's one of the first people to understand who Jesus really is. So she, she this is revealed to her, but then also she is restored to community. If you uh, skip down to verse 39, you see that she actually goes back to the town, begins to interact with people. People hear her story, and she begins to be reintegrated back into community. An authentic encounter with Jesus. I love the way that Rich Velotis says this. He says, God dwells only in reality. God dwells only in reality. Not in our spin, not in our image management, not in the things that we project out into the world. God can be found in reality. This is what happens with this woman. Right? She steps into this situation. I have no idea how this is going to go down, but it ends with her meeting Jesus, the Messiah. And then being restored to her community. This is shalom. Right relationship with God and with others. This is also, I think, a beautiful picture of the practice of confession. The 
practice of confession. Our working definition of confession here is telling the truth about ourselves and about God. And I would just add the layer of telling the truth about ourselves and God in community. Telling the truth about ourselves leads to this place of honesty and healing and wholeness and restoration ultimately with God and with community. Now for some of us, confession... We, we might like the idea of honesty and being real and, auth- and authenticity. All that sounds really good. But then like confession is like, ugh. And we may have images of intimidating confessional booths. Or we may have had experiences where we have opened up to people. We've been real with people and they did not handle it well. They didn't handle it well or they actually used that information against us in some kind of way that was deeply wounding about ourselves. But as scary as it is, we need this. We need confession. We need truth. We need honesty. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is this deep connection with healing, wholeness, integrity, becoming the the person that God fully intended us to be and telling the truth about who we are and who God is. The practice of confession, there's a number of studies that have revealed it's one of the practices that is most closely tied with spiritual growth. Now, when we talk about the practices here, we typically invite you to go practice it. We give you some resources and here's some things to do and try out and different ways to to implement it into your life. You can go back on our webpage, just click on practices. All those resources are available there. But this year, I feel like we need to flip this conversation. Because I actually see our community growing in this in a way that is exciting to me. And I just want to affirm that. I see more honesty, more truth, more reality being shared among us, which is beautiful. But the challenge for us, I think, now is how do we receive that? As people open up and reveal things, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we hold those things well? Our desire is for discovery to be a safe place to explore the dangerous good news of Jesus. I say dangerous not because you're going to break your leg or fall into a pit. Hopefully not. But dangerous because it will change you. It will mess you up in a good way. A safe place to explore this dangerous truth. A a, a safe place to ask questions and to express our doubts and, and to explore things together. A safe place to know and to be known. Now, I really don't like ending our teaching on, so just go be more like Jesus. Um, we're, never, we're not going to do that super well, right? <laughs> and yet, this is a story where, where I think maybe for some of us, we, we do need to think about this woman, right? And, and what does it look like for me to tell the truth about myself? But I think as a whole, for our community, we actually need to go, okay, what does Jesus do in this story that, that allows this to happen? Here's a Samaritan woman in the scariest, most vulnerable place that she could be, which for a lot of people 
his church. And then we're, you know, in this time where we're inviting you into neighborhood communities and get to know people more and be in people's living rooms and, and all these kinds of things. And they're, I mean, it's beautiful space. Right? In neighborhood communities, this space to build relationships where you can be known, where we serve the mission together. But it might be, it might be the scariest, most vulnerable place for some of us to go. You want me to go to someone's living room and talk about my life? I don't know about that. And so our challenge, I think, with the practice of confession this year is how do we steward that space well? How do we follow the example of Jesus and make room for honesty and confession without judgment, just the truth? Man, when people are honest, when people are real, when confession happens, that's a holy moment. Right? That is a sacred moment. And that space needs to be protected. And I just have to say this. When that happens, do not, do not rush in with, well, let me tell you about the theological, you know, or John Piper says, um, don't do that. <laughs> right? Hold that. Protect that space. That is a sacred moment. A holy moment. It is not a moment to rush in with, with answers and pontifications. Confession is a spirit and truth moment. And there are so many ways that we can make it fraught with peril. I don't want to scare us. This morning, but I do want to say, man, we have got to protect that space so that we can be real to one another and real with one another. May we fight for that with everything we've got. And in doing so, may we create honest, safe, caring spaces to be real with each other, honest, safe, caring spaces to confess what is actually going on to tell the truth, and to be healed. I'm going to invite uh, James back uh, to lead us in, in worship. Um, Becky, you can come too. Sorry. <laughs> uh, as we get ready here to, uh, to take communion and, and sing a few more songs together, I want to go back to the first part of the conversation that Jesus has with this woman where he talks about living water. And there's, again, so many things going on in this passage. It's so rich. And, again, we could spend, we could do like a whole series just on the different things going on in John 4. But in this conversation about living water, remember, this is at the beginning of their interaction. And it's almost like Jesus is kind of priming her for what is about to come, this reveal about the husbands. Because what he's saying there is we all have longings. We all have desires. And those are good things. But ultimately, we only find that satisfaction in the living water. Right? It's in being oriented around Jesus that all those other desires start to fall into place and make sense. And so what he offers her there is not just a ticket to heaven. It is a new way to live. 
One of the reasons we come to the table every week and take communion together is because we need to be reoriented around Jesus, around what is real. That there is a God who loves us, who wants to meet us in those deepest places, our deepest longings, and who ultimately is the one who satisfies them. And so we take these very simple elements, bread and juice, to remember what Jesus has done for us, right? His death and his resurrection in our place, on our behalf, that we might have life, that we can become whole, that we can experience shalom, right relationship with God and with communion. And as a community, may we take steps towards what is real and true. When you're ready, let's take communion, discovery.